Welcome to the Kobe Bryant episode of the Hoop Theory Podcast, aka episode 24. My name is Logan Wortman, and today I'd like to talk about some trades. Because it is that time of year, the trade deadline is Thursday, February 9th, which is coming up, uh, and we already saw a big trade happen over this weekend, uh, which that, of course, was the Kyrie Irving to Dallas deal. Um, so the details on that was obviously Kyrie with Markeith Morris going to the Mavs in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie, returning home to the Brooklyn Nets, as well as Dorian Finney-Smith, an unprotected first-round pick in 2029, and then two second-round picks in 2027, as well as 2029. So I don't know if I really see this as a huge upgrade for the Mavs, to be honest. Theoretically, upgrading from Dinwiddie to Irving, but you're losing a big piece from your team, and Dorian Finney-Smith plays a really important role on that team. And I don't really see somebody that can come in as a great replacement for that. You know, I think that Dorian Finney-Smith is one of the absolute best players in the league at his specific role, which is, you know, a big three and D wing. So, you know, guys that are options, I guess, for that role to be filled on the, on the Mavs, um, Markeith Morris, but I, I don't think, you know, I'm pretty sure those days are kind of behind him at this point. I don't think he's going to be that level of that kind of player anymore at this point. Also, both the Morris twins have always leaned a little too heavy in the prefer some ISO scoring type of corner than you would like to have, ideally, in the 3 and D big wing spot. But I've heard a lot of people throw around Josh Green as somebody that they're expecting to come in and take those Dorian Finney-Smith minutes. Um, I just, you know, he's not going to be capable of guarding the same size of players that Finney Smith was. He's, you know, a little bit smaller, probably going to be defending a little bit more of the backcourt type of player. So, you know, there's there's that as well. I, I just don't really see it as quite the same type of thing. Not going to be guarding the same player as DFS would in every matchup. And the other idea would be maybe Jay Crowder uh, from the Suns, you know, make a, a second trade, make another deal before the deadline by using Reggie Bullock's contract to go get Jay Crowder. There's nothing really that the Mavs can throw in on top of that because I don't think they have any picks left after this Kyrie trade. But, you know, if somehow the Suns are desperate because they're not getting any offers for Jay Crowder really, then, you know, maybe they'll they'll go for that. But that's really probably the best case scenario I could see uh for filling that DFS role on this Dallas Mavericks team. But yeah, speaking of Jay Crowder and the Suns, though, that brings us into what I find as maybe the most interesting part of this trade, which was the offers that Brooklyn leaked to the media after they made the deal, which a lot of people were extremely surprised by. It's something that you usually don't do, but I guess Brooklyn just doesn't really care. I think they also leaked the Jalen Brown trade from like the KD trade offer that the Celtics sent them this past offseason. So I guess they have a history of this at this point. But yeah, so apparently the offer that the Lakers reportedly gave to the Nets for a potential trade for Kyrie Irving was Russell Westbrook plus the 2027 and 2029 first round picks, 
that the Lakers have, which is not a surprise. That's the same trade package that everybody's been talking about for the whole season now. So definitely not a surprise to see that offered up for Kyrie. And then the other one, which I find really interesting, was the Suns. And that's why I brought this up from the Jay Crowder tangent, because the Suns would be sending, no surprise, Jay Crowder, who requested a trade from them in the offseason and hasn't been playing this entire season now. But the more surprising player that's in this deal is Chris Paul, would have been in this offer, reportedly. And then unspecified draft picks as well, in exchange for Kyrie Irving. Uh, the Nets opted instead for the Dallas package, and apparently Joe Sy, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, said that he was intentionally, no matter what, just going to not give Kyrie to the Lakers, which was just kind of funny. The Lakers' involvement in this whole deal was just entertaining, you know, because Kyrie, a few days before the trade happened, requested a trade, and then all Lakers fans just automatically were like, we're getting him, and, you know, everybody wanted him. And it was one of those funny situations where everybody who's a fan of the Lakers wanted it to happen, but also all the people that hate the Lakers really wanted this trade to happen as well, Um, which is a pretty rare scenario when both of those crowds of people want the same exact thing to happen. But yeah, back to this Dallas trade, the trade that actually happened, uh, Kyrie to the Mavs. Why did Dallas do this, you might ask? It's really, I think, a desperation move. From the standpoint of they want to keep Luca there, uh, they might be worried about Luca's commitment to the Mavs long term, especially with Dallas not being able to build a super great roster around him thus far in his career. Um, especially, you know, with the big mistake they made last offseason with letting Jalen Brunson walk in free agency um, when they had multiple chances throughout the season last year to sign him for four years, fifty-five million which is just a little over half of what he ended up signing for in New York. So, you know, in retrospect, that's a huge mistake. And so now they're basically just trying to make up for that mistake by acquiring Kyrie Irving and hoping that is enough to make Luca want to stay. Um, at least, you know, that's a pretty reasonable theory one could have about why Dallas would make a trade like this. And so then maybe you're asking, why would Brooklyn do this? And the answer to that is very simple. They're doing this because Kyrie Irving requested a trade over the weekend, just a couple days before this deal actually happened. And he basically said he would like to be traded before the deadline. And if they wouldn't make a trade before the deadline for him, that he would just leave in the offseason. So obviously, Brooklyn doesn't just want to lose Kyrie, the asset of Kyrie Irving, um, for nothing. Uh, in a similar way that the Mavs just did with Brunson. So they want to, you know, cash him in for something. They want to get something back in return. Like that first round pick and those two seconds and two really decent role players in uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith. So all in all, honestly, as good of a return for Kyrie Irving that you could really hope for. Like Kyrie Irving is a super talented player, but his reputation and his value across the league is it feels like just about as tainted as it could be because of his off-court antics his controversial opinions and beliefs that he shares on social media him being very unreliable for suiting up games for just about every team he's played for now all the way back to college so to be honest if I had to choose one of these teams to be on the side of after this deal 
like I kind of like what Brooklyn got um, in this trade. Obviously, I'd still probably pick the team uh, that has Luka Doncic on it for you know the team that I would want to run moving forward. But I, I see this as a win for Brooklyn in this deal, for sure. Um, and I guess somebody might want to ask also, why did Kyrie do this? And the answer to that is probably a lot more complicated and unknowable. But, you know, it really does seem like it's probably because the Nets front office, Sean Marks, last offseason didn't sign Kyrie to an extension because of kind of a lot of the things that I just laid out for why Kyrie is unreliable or um, maybe not worth max money moving forward. Um, You don't want to marry yourself to a guy like that long term. And that made KD upset because, you know, him and Kyrie are tight. That's the reason they're both there in Brooklyn was to team up. And that was really the source of KD's request for a trade in the offseason because they weren't doing right by his guy Kyrie. They weren't going to extend him. But, you know, they weren't able to come to a deal for KD last offseason, if you might remember, mainly because all the teams that wanted KD didn't really have enough to send back Brooklyn's way to make it like, you know, worth it for Brooklyn because, you know, KD was still under contract for four more years at that point. And he's one of the best players in the league. So they wanted, you know, a King's ransom for KD, understandably. Um, And they weren't just going to ship him off for a discount. So they decided, hey, you know, we couldn't get this deal done. But, oh yeah, and I'm missing a part in there. KD also basically said, if you fire Sean Marks and or... Steve Nash, uh, the head coach. Sean Marks is the front office executive, GM. He said, if you fire one or both of those guys, then then um, I'd, I'd be willing to come back, basically. And Nets owner, Josai, uh, declined that request at first. Um, and then like six games into the season, maybe something like that, they did end up firing Steve Nash as head coach and just promoting Jack Vaughn. And then... After that point in the season, their record took off, you know, and after also Kyrie came back from his suspension for, you know, promoting an anti-Semitic documentary, you know, with both of them on the floor in games, I think they're 20 and four is their record on the season. And then, you know, Katie obviously got hurt, um, but, you know, he's coming back soon. And during that, that little period of time while Katie is out is when Kyrie decided to jump ship. I guess. I don't know if, you know, they talked about it together or if this was a surprise to Katie, but if it is the latter, then that's honestly rather dramatic, um, especially with the detail of like Katie backing up his guy in Kyrie this offseason and like using leverage of him leaving to try to get, you know, them to cooperate and extend Kyrie. So, you know, that's just kind of an interesting little dynamic. Uh, or piece of this, but yeah, I don't really know why Kyrie did this, but I'm guessing it probably has something to do with his relationship with ownership and uh, management there in Brooklyn, and he'd like to explore other waters. But yeah, uh, moving on to other things, we have uh, some Laker trades that I wanted to explore a little bit. Um, not talk too long about this because I've already talked a lot about this topic throughout the season. And that is, you know, the different things that they can basically get uh, for that trade package that I just mentioned earlier 
which is Russell Westbrook, along with their 2027 and 2029 first-round picks. Some of the deals that are out there right now for it that are what I think are like the best ones, I guess, I think it's really between the Toronto one and the Indiana one, which the Indiana one is the one I've been talking about for a long time, and that's Miles Turner and Buddy Heald coming back to the Lakers in that deal. I don't really want to go into all the reasons why I think that's a good trade because I've done it like four times. So if you want to hear about that, I think a good way to, I guess, hear the gist of it, of my opinion on it, is to watch my video on YouTube called Fit Matters, uh, which was just basically a video of me ranting about um, the Russell Westbrook situation in Los Angeles at the very beginning of the season uh, before he started coming off the bench. But I talk a lot about the Indiana trade in the second half of that video. But yeah, so the other destination that I had, though, was Toronto, which this is, you know, not a trade I came up with, but one that's been floating around there. And that is Russ Westbrook and the two picks in exchange for Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., and Otto Porter Jr. And honestly, I think that's pretty comparable to the Miles Turner and Buddy Heald one, if not even better, just because of the amount of shooting you're getting back and amount of like just rotational players that I mean like those three guys right there plus LeBron and AD could be your crunch time lineup you know and all you're losing uh in terms of assets you have this season is Russell Westbrook I get obviously the reason why somebody might not want to do any of these deals because they don't want to give up the only future assets that this team has uh in exchange for maximizing another LeBron season. Yeah, out of all the things that they could do, though, in order to try to make a push for the chance at a title, I think that's probably the best deal out there, uh, to be honest. The other deal that I wanted to at least mention was the DeRozan and Vucevic one, but I would probably rank that third. I think the Indiana deal is better than that one, in my personal opinion, just fit-wise, but the Chicago deal would also get you the best player in DeRozan. Yeah, and then moving on to some other trade ideas, there is this other really popular one that I just wanted to float out there, which was OG Ananobi to Memphis for three first-round picks and Zaire Williams. Um, I think the all the pick madness in trades lately is going a little bit overboard, personally. Like, mainly starting... Honestly, really starting back at the Drew Holiday trade a few years ago. Because what that was like four first-round picks. I feel like at least three. Uh, it was Eric Bledsoe, um, another player, I think, and then a bunch of picks for uh, Drew Holiday. Yeah, I like ever since that deal basically is when everybody's like, oh, this is how many picks you have to throw into a deal, you know, to get a notable player. Like, no matter who it is, like OG Ananobi, kind of, he's just like a younger version of what I was just saying before with. Dorian Finney-Smith, that might be a little bit of a insult, I guess. To I, I think OG Ananobi is better defensively. He's more of a special talent defensively. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith has pretty much maximized, I think, what he is, uh, which is a very, very good role player. OG Ananobi is probably like, like kind of the aforementioned, you know, Drew Holiday, and this is this is a topic or a subject that I've talked about on the show before. But just to you know, explain it a little bit again, it's almost like above a role player, but it's still a role player. Like it's somebody who brings that same value that a role player does for you, but 
they're so good at it that people can't help from appreciating them or like rewarding them with, you know, some all-star votes or all NBA votes or uh, things like that. You know, like Drew Holiday has been that way for a while where he's like, he's, he's not like a star, but yet he almost is. Or Draymond Green is a super good example. He's not, he's not a traditional star. You know, he's not a star in the way that most players are stars in the NBA throughout basketball history. You know, he doesn't do the, the things for your team that you usually think star player does. What he does do is things that role players are, are meant to do for you guys that, you know, aren't the volume scorers, aren't the guys that are super reliable scoring options. So they are just servicing the play as cutters or three-point shooters or uh, just really good defenders, rebounders, um, passers, you know, just smart IQ basketball players. So, you know, guys like Draymond Green or Dennis Rodman, even before him, those kinds of players that, you know, make the Hall of Fame and get all these accolades, yet they aren't like, you know, the number one option, number two option usually on their teams. You know, those guys are super tilted examples, guys that like have no scoring role on their teams. But, you know, then there's guys like Drew Holiday or Jimmy Butler that, are like Jimmy Butler's a star for sure, but he's like almost a little bit kind of in this in this mold that I'm talking about too, where like the things he does for his team, like the the role that he plays still is is a little bit different than a traditional star, but yet he also feels like the star role for his team too, and so then like just putting together everything that he does for your team is just so overwhelming, you know, just the amount of things that he does for you. But yeah, that's kind of how I see OG Ananobi. I kind of forgot how I got on this. But um, so I guess like that's the difference between OG Ananobi and a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith is, yes, OG Ananobi is, you know, kind of plays that same role that Dorian Finney-Smith does. But I, th- I think OG Ananobi can be almost like a star player because of pl- doing that Dorian Finney-Smith thing but then also being a guy that can play with the ball in his hands uh, a bit too, you know, score in isolation in a pinch if you really need it, be like a smart cutter, playmaker, just, you know, all the other areas of basketball outside of that role, he is better, you know, ultimately. So that's why I guess I don't see it as an absolutely insane thing that a team would be giving up three first-round picks plus, you know, a young player like Zaire Williams in exchange for OG Ananobi, but I still don't know if that's a great trade, like if it's something that you should do, because that is a lot of draft capital. But like this type of move is something that Memphis would make, you know, in hopes for Ananobi makes them the title favorite, you know, like makes it basically uh, secures a very high probability of them winning the title. Uh, so yeah, as a Nuggets fan, I definitely don't want that deal to happen uh, because I would like to win the championship this season. But I do, I do get why a lot of Memphis fans and a lot of people in general want this deal to happen because it helps both teams so well. And honestly, OG Ananobi is an interesting player for the Nuggets to maybe go after ourselves. But I'll get to that a little bit later because that kind of opens up a conversation that I'm about to get to. But yeah, speaking of the Toronto Raptors with OG Ananobi. Uh, they're a team that a lot of people are expecting to be pretty active at this deadline, moving all kinds of pieces. 
well, maybe not actually moving all kinds of pieces, but they could move one of many, um, if you know what I mean. Uh, Chicago, honestly, is another team people have been talking about for a long time now. But guys I'd be surprised that don't get moved is like Bojan Bogdanovic, Jay Crowder. I'd be a little surprised if Cleveland does nothing um, because I think that they're going to want a small forward, somebody to play the three for them um, because they have the perfect lineup other than other than that position, like they just don't have any sort of piece that can come in and, and play that position in their starting lineup, really, other than I think Jetty Osmond is their best version of that. But like ideally, you know, you probably want him in your second unit. Same with like Karis LeVert, you, you know, another guy you probably want coming off your bench. So, you know, I'd be surprised, I guess, if they don't try to do anything at this deadline. I don't think they have enough to go get Ananobi, but I think they could after a guy like Jay Crowder or even somebody from the Nets now that everything is seeming to explode there. I'm like, you know, after this Kyrie deal, people are expecting KD to maybe get moved now. So we'll see what happens there. You know, different things that people are floating out there for KD trades though, is a lot of similar teams uh, that were being talked about um, like six months ago when not even six months ago, I feel like probably more recently than that. When uh, we were talking about KD trades in the offseason, when he requested one. So teams like the Suns, the Pels, the Raptors are like the main suspects. So, you know, the Raptors one for KD would probably be uh, Scotty Barnes. Well, they could do a lot of different things, to be honest, but they'd probably want to throw in some picks. And uh, some of their young players, you know, with Scotty Barnes is like the centerpiece of it. Or even OG Ananobi, honestly. And maybe maybe this could be a three-team trade. OG Ananobi goes somewhere else. Who knows? But, you know, Miami is a team that people were throwing out there last, like in the offseason. But I, I don't know if they really have enough. I didn't think that they would then either. But, you know, same thing now. I think it would be kind of hard to make a deal for Kevin Durant without including somebody like Bam Adebayo, which I don't know if you want, really want to do that as the Heat. And then the Phoenix Suns. Best trade offer I, I feel like would probably involve Jay Crowder just, you know, for the salary and also just makes sense. <laughs> but then adding in Mikhail Bridges and Kim Johnson also would make the money work. Um, I think, honestly, maybe the scariest one is this Grizzlies one. That would be Steven Adams, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, and Danny Green in exchange for Kevin Durant. Obviously, including all the draft picks they would have, too. But that one would be extremely scary uh, as a Nuggets fan. The Pelicans is one that I feel like is very, like, almost likely. I, I guess I shouldn't say likely, but very plausible maybe is the best word. But uh, that would be a deal centered around Brandon Ingram and a bunch of picks. You know, maybe throw in Dyson Daniels. I think Devontae Graham would make the money work if you just did Ingram and Graham. And then, you know, they have tons of picks in New Orleans because of all the trades that they've been the um, benefactors of recently. Um, I'm just coming across a Bulls trade offer for Kevin Durant, which includes Nikola Vucevic, Alonzo Ball, Patrick Williams, and Ayo Desunmu, um, as well as two future first-round picks and pick swaps, which I think that's all the draft picks that Chicago has after the Vucevic deal. That one is a little underwhelming. I don't think, I don't know if the Nets would really go for that one. 
um, given that maybe some of these other ones are on the table. And then honestly, another one could be the Nuggets. And I don't know how I really feel about that kind of thing happening, but I also, I definitely would not dislike it. You know what I mean? Like I would be excited for sure um, for getting Kevin Durant in exchange for probably Michael Porter Jr. and Bones Highland and then somebody else to make uh, the money work who would probably be like KCP, which I really don't want to give KCP up, but but that would probably be what we would need to do. But yeah, that would be an insane uh, pairing, KD and, and Nicole Jokic. Um, yeah, I don't know if that will happen, but that would that would be interesting. Um, and that kind of brings us to Bones Highland uh, and the Nuggets, which, you know, this isn't like new news or anything like that, but Bones Highland over the last like month and a half to two months, maybe, I, I can't remember how long it's been, but you know, he kind of started fading out of the rotation a little bit. He was stringing together a lot of not very good games. And, you know, so his lack of offensive production was really, you know, kind of bringing to light his weaknesses on the defensive end. I guess I shouldn't say bringing to light, but I guess just making it so he wasn't outweighing, you know, what he what he takes away on the defensive end. And honestly, we, we kind of have enough on-ball creation as it is with Jamal and you don't really need a lot of on-ball juice when you have Nikola Jokic because of the amount of offense that he can just create out of thin air. But, you know, Bones Highland has requested a trade from the Nuggets. And, you know, I really liked the Bones Highland experience. I've, I've loved him as just a fun young player. Um, he's one of the shiftiest guys in the league. Uh, really fun to watch. Plays with a lot of energy uh, and always has a smile on his face. But... Yeah, our team definitely isn't the best fit for him right now, I don't think, because of how much we're struggling defensively and how much better defensively we've gotten since kind of facing him out. So Bones Island is most likely going to be moved. I'd be surprised if he, if he didn't, honestly. And hopefully we can make a move for Caruso, Alex Caruso, which starting off, I, d- I didn't love that trade but now that i thought about it more i think that that would be my preferred return for bones uh just because of the amount of on-ball defense that he brings but then also a guy that i feel like would be really valuable playing off of Jokic, kind of like a bruce brown you know that we already have but like mainly what my fear is is not having bones highland might make it so we play ish smith a little bit at times, uh, as a ball handler in the second unit or just off the bench in general, like, you know, especially if we're missing somebody, um, then that might make Ish Smith a part of the rotation a little bit. And I really don't want to see that. Not, you know, nothing really against Ish Smith other than I just have hated his minutes, <laughs> to be honest. Um, this season, I mean, like, he plays hard and everything. He just, he somehow is one of the worst free throw shooters in the league as a six foot guard. And he makes some of the worst passes I've ever seen, like a point guard or a, you know, supposed to be initiator, floor general, ever make. Like, he hasn't played a lot, but, you know, there's been at least like three or four just completely terrible passes for turnovers, you know, that just boggled my mind. You know, like, like uh, oops, that just went like five feet too high or, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. 
So, you know, getting a guard back in return for Bones that can kind of push Ishmith back in the depth chart a little bit, I think would be good. If not Caruso, then maybe Jalen Noel, which I don't love the idea of, but, you know, it's better than nothing. Jay Crowder would be another one. He wouldn't do what I'm saying with the, you know, come in and fill a guard spot, but, um, but I think he would definitely sure up our defense a little bit throughout a rotation. Um, OG Ananobi is another guy that I've uh, decided to, I think I mentioned this earlier, but the Anobi coming to Denver would have to give up bones for sure or Porter, but I don't know if I would want to do Porter because Ananobi's not as good of a, Three-point shooter, by no, not even close to Porter. I guess what I meant by not as good is like compared to average or compared to what we would want. You know, um, he's a massive, massive um, downgrade from Michael Porter Jr. as a shooter, but he helps us on the defensive end for sure. So yeah, I don't know if I would want to see that happen, but like honestly, there might be something to be said about like just getting an Anobi so somebody like Memphis doesn't might be better than, you know, keeping Porter and allowing Memphis to go and get an Anobi. Like that might be better for us in the long run, just to not allow Memphis to make that huge of an upgrade. But if there was a way to do it without Porter, that would be obviously ideal. And that would, that would be insane. Um, if somehow we could do it with bones. And I think, I think we have a first round pick available to trade i believe so at least uh so we could throw that in there and um zeke naji as well uh for another young guy and maybe peyton watson i don't know if if uh toronto would be interested in peyton watson as a young project but yeah that that would definitely be um the dream <laughs> if we could get og ananobi and keep porter also but we'll see. Um, kind of want to wrap up this episode with talking about the all-star teams, which we did talk about last episode, but they are finalized now. So I just wanted to kind of check them out, compare them to what I had when I made my fake all-star teams. So yeah, starting with the East, we have Kyrie, Ir- which, yeah, this is funny now that he's not in the East anymore, but somehow he's still an East starter. Uh, I don't know if that's ever happened before, to be honest, but that's that's interesting. Um, Kyrie Irving, though, starting in the backcourt for the East with Donovan Mitchell, uh, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, and Giannis Antetokounmpo is the starting five there. So Joel Embiid, who is arguably the favorite for MVP right now, is on the bench somehow um, because of how stupid these positions are and that you don't allow somebody like Jason Tatum to play the two. Um like, I don't know, it's, it's just dumb to me how there's just a hard line. I think that there should be ranges for different kinds of players because, like, it's just wrong to treat somebody like Jason Tatum the same, the exact same positionally as Joel Embiid. Like, they should not be categorized the exact same way positionally. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my gripe with that. But, yeah, Joel Embiid coming off the bench along with Tyrese Halliburton, uh, Jalen Brown, Julius Randle, Bam Adebayo, Drew Holiday, and DeMar DeRozan. So not too different, I guess. I mean, there I had a few differences. I had Siakam in there and Jimmy Butler, um, and I think Darius Garland. 
were the three that I had in there. And I did not have Drew Holiday or Julius Randle um, or Bam Adebayo. But yeah, I think Bam Adebayo definitely deserves to be in there. And I'm glad he is. And then moving over to the West, we have Steph Curry in the backcourt with Luka Doncic. And then in the front court, there's LeBron James, Zion Williamson, and Nikola Jokic. Then coming off the bench, there is John Morant, Damian Lillard, Shea Gildress-Alexander, Paul George, Larry Markinen, DeMontis Sabonis, and Jaron Jackson Jr. So I think there was only two that I didn't have in this one, and that was Paul George and Jaron Jackson Jr. I instead had uh, Anthony Davis and De'Aaron Fox. But, you know, I don't think any of the people that made it in is crazy, to be honest. What I do think is crazy, though, is all of the all-star snub conversations being had by mostly local teams, like local markets, the broadcasting teams. I cringed a lot at the Nuggets one, my own team, where guys were saying some wild stuff about how Aaron Gordon, um, it was like a travesty that he wasn't in the all-star game. And it was like, I, I get it. Like they just want to hype up their guy, but I part of me wonders if like they actually are that naive to like the landscape of the league and like the other players out there that they're being serious you know, like Aaron Gordon, like it's not a, it's not crazy that he like, yeah, sure. He was amongst the candidates that were on the outside looking in, like, you know, the next layer of guys, the next tier of guys. But I don't think he deserved to be in there over these other guys. I'm not trying to say that I don't think he had an all-star caliber season, you know, because I think he 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 bore, he had a borderline all-star caliber season. I, I do believe that. But this season for the the candidates that he's going against, I don't think there's really an argument for him being in there. Like, who should he be in there over? I think the best argument you could probably make is maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. And, like, I don't even think he should be in... Like, I would rather have Anthony Davis in there over Jaron Jackson Jr. I think that that should be how it is. And I, there's no way I'd, I would take Aaron Gordon over Anthony Davis. And then, you know, apparently... Coach Malone, Michael Malone, has been saying similar things about Jamal Murray, um, how she he should be in there, and how if you know if there's an injury in the backcourt in the West, um, that hopefully he makes it in there as an injury reserve. But I don't think he'll even do that because he's going up against guys like De'Aaron Fox and Anthony Edwards, so that'll be tough. Um, and there's some other guys in the East that I'd like to mention as like honorable mentions or, or borderline snubs. Like it's crazy that Trey Young is averaging 27 and 10 on a team that is, you know, competing for a playoff spot and he's not an all-star. Uh, not even saying I disagree with it. Like he wasn't on mine, you know, but that's just kind of crazy. Uh, James Harden was another guy. Uh, Jeremy Grant is in the West, but I forgot to mention him. He's probably, he's kind of on a similar level to, to Aaron Gordon, but I think Portland uh, people were making a similar type of fuss about, about his, snubbery um Jalen Brunson with the Knicks uh Darius Garland I, I already mentioned Pascal Siakam I think it's a little bit iffy that he's not in there I think he should probably be in there over Randall maybe I don't know um and that kind of brings me to the the topic of like if you get the first seed like you automatically get two all-stars that's a thing that a lot of people say and how a lot of voters vote 
And I just think it's so dumb, even though like it should have benefited me this year. You know, more people were probably voting for a second nugget to get in there. But like I've never been on that side of things because I think it's lazy. It's like kind of dumb. Like this Nuggets team, Jokic is so far and away by far like the reason we're good, you know, and we have we have pretty solid players around him like that. It just makes like mathematically it makes sense that there wouldn't be another all-star, even though we're one of the best teams in the NBA and we're the first seed in the West, we can still have only one all-star because that all-star is the back-to-back MVP and possibly going to three-peat as a MVP in the NBA. And there's just a solid cast of rotational players around him. And, you know, maybe one or two guys that, you know, are like sub-all-stars. Like, why can't that be the case? (laughs) I don't understand why you automatically have to have a second all like isn't that like don't you think that's kind of an insult a little bit or like taking a little bit away from Jokic's all-star recognition I mean it it is a little bit because what you're saying is oh they there's no way that they have a better record than the Kings when you know the Kings might have two all-stars this year in Fox and Sabonis um, but the Nuggets have a better record so they need to have two also it's like, no, neither Fox or Sabonis is close to being Jokic. You know, they're not on the same level of, of an all-star as Jokic is. So it makes sense how Jokic, um, as the lone all-star on his team, can lead his team to a better record than two far inferior all-stars uh, leading a different team. Like, I just don't understand why that can't be the way that it works. <laughs> like, why can't we just look at it as the way that it is? Like, why can't we actually compare these players for what they're doing this year um, and like how much they are contributing to their team's success. You know, Aaron Gordon is contributing a lot, has contributed a lot to the Nuggets success this season, but a lot of Aaron Gordon's success has been, you know, has been directly from playing alongside Nikola Jokic. And there's other players out there when you, you know, look at them with the same microscope that I think are a little bit more deserving than Aaron Gordon at his position, like Laurie Markkinen and and Anthony Davis, you know, um, and DeMontis Sabonis even. So, like, I don't know. I just don't like this argument. Uh, it's kind of the same thing that I talked about when I first got a podcast. It was on one of my first episodes ever, I think, the Lojo Woe podcast, for those that remember. But it was uh, that season, it was the Toronto Raptors that were the first seed in the East. I believe, and they had Kyle Lowry as like their second all-star with Siakam, and Kyle Lowry made it in over Bradley Beal, who had the best season of his career that year, averaging like 30 points a game. I'm pretty sure it was the most points anybody has ever averaged without being named an all-star, which obviously that record's going to keep getting broken as people average more and more points, but still, it was a little bit, um, I thought it was a little bit suspect that like, why why just because... And, you know, I probably feel less strongly about this argument now than I did then because I, I feel like I, me as a basketball mind now, I appreciate guys like Kyle Lowry and what they do more in comparison to um, how I appreciate uh, a guy like Bradley Beal who, yeah, you know, puts up a lot of scoring numbers and stuff, but... I guess what I'm saying is I feel like I equalize them more a little bit now than I did back then. 
Um, so I don't think that is as crazy of a thing, but I guess I'm just trying to make a point <laughs> of just because you are on the, the best team in your conference by record doesn't mean that you have to have two all-stars, you know? I just think that it's a dumb, it's a dumb convention or a dumb cultural voting thing that needs to kind of stop because it's, it's like, it's taking, like the reason why people have votes is so you can like analyze, like look at things and, you know, measure things on a case by case basis, you know, like analyze all of these players, different cases for why they should be an all-star. You're not doing that when you just say, okay, this, this team is the best record in the, in the conference. So therefore there has to be two all-stars that I vote for off of their team. Like that's, you're making a cookie cutter. Like you're like, you're going against like the reason why you have a vote in the first place. You know, you're making your vote somewhat useless. So, you know, like if we could just make little rules like that, then your vote wouldn't mean anything. You know what I mean? I guess the, the reason why you're voting on it is so you can, you, you can choose the best candidate and not just make cookie cutter rules like that, that are like exclusive, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, I just thought I would wrap up this episode with one of my old fashioned rants, but yeah, hopefully you enjoyed. I do think that was all that I wanted to hit on this episode. So yeah, I will leave you with that. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you. Please check out the channel on YouTube of the same name, Hoop Theory, and subscribe over there and uh, follow the feed here if you're not already following the feed on this podcast platform that you're listening on. But yeah, thank you very much. Once again, stay happy, stay healthy, and I'll talk to you guys next episode. Mm-hmm.